He struts like John Wayne, resembles Jim Carrey, and dresses like he's visually impaired. Because he is Insight. Insight with Mark Farrell on the Progressive Radio Network. Ah, uh, yes. Thursday morning, New York City, and wherever you are. How are you, my friends? This is the Progressive Radio Network. The show is Insight. My name is Mark Farrell. Hope you are well. Hope you're off this week. I mean, 4th of July, a lot of people either bookend the long weekend with the following week off. So hopefully that is the scenario right now. If not, maybe I can talk you into taking the rest of the day off or blowing off today entirely. <laughs> Good show coming your way. Of course, we're going to be talking about my favorite time of the year. Fourth of July, summertime, heat, outdoors, watermelon, sports, family, music, all that stuff. I just embrace this time of year like no other time of year. This is my Christmas. This is my Thanksgiving, my Easter. These are all the holidays wrapped into one for me. I, I just can't get enough. And also you can meet Cassidy Puckett. Cassidy is electric. She has so much information to share, including her new book, Redefining Geek. Yes, this is a great book. Redefining Geek, Bias and the Five Hidden Habits of Tech Savvy. This is a great interview. She exposes a lot of different traits I wasn't aware of that a lot of us already have um, things that we need to get better uh, with technology and for uh, you know the students involved, future leaders of the world and a historical gender gap in tech, uh, all kinds of really, really exciting things. Uh, how technology learners also need to develop tech specific habits of design logic, um, stuff that you know maybe you haven't really thought of. And hey, I can't blame you, that's for sure, because maybe you're not tech savvy, but maybe you want to become more tech savvy. And how does the brain work? And are you predisposed to be tech savvy? All these things coming your way in a few minutes with Cassidy Puckett. Great, great person. Anyway, so 4th of July, love it. Um, it goes so fast. Actually, the weekend on the East Coast is pretty good. Saturday weather was not so great, but Sunday, Monday were salvaged. Uh, great times, barbecues. I was on the air every day at a rock station down the Jersey Shore. So that's always fun because I feel that, number one, obviously, I love music. And being able to play music and provide, well, what I think is, not all the time, but provide the chills that you feel when you hear that song. When you hear that song when you're driving down the road on a beautiful day with the windows down, your arms out. When you hear that song when you're on the beach, when you hear that song when you're talking to someone you're pining for. Yes, you're never too old to pine for somebody, right? <laughs> you don't have to act on it, of course, if you're in a relationship, but it's never too late or uh, something like that to pine for somebody, right? Of course. But it's great to just uh, live outside. And I think that's for me, that's what Summer says, just being outside, the exercising, the ability to exercise outside all the time, uh, biking, walking, uh, fishing. My buddy has a boat. Um, you don't have to be into fishing. I, I kind of like fishing, but I like more of the, it's like golf. I don't like golf, but I'll go on the golf course and walk around and, and drive the golf cart for my buddies. But, uh, you know, visually impaired guys, not going to excel in golf too much. But I like all the things surrounding the art of golf that I just call golf an art. It is. Not for me. Maybe for you. <laughs> what about the beach? I mean, the beach is just a place of soulless. Like, I don't know. 
It's kind of like holistic. It's natural. It's fun. It's hot. It's sandy. It's wet. It's rejuvenating, invigorating. The smells, the sands. I mean, when I'm in my garage, when I'm going out for the day in the you know summertime, and I'm putting my SPF on, uh, what is it, uh, banana boat? When I just smell that, I'm just like, ah, the smells of summer. I love it. Isn't it great? The olfactory senses, how they just come alive and make you say to yourself, oh, yeah, it's going to be a good day. I'm going to be on the beach or I'm going to be outside under the sun living life. And that's great. Especially outdoor concerts, man. Oh, my God, I can't get enough. There's a great venue uh, in New Jersey. I'm sure it's known worldwide called the Stone Pony. And the Stone Pony has a summer stage called the Stone Pony Summer Stage. Brilliant idea, right? <laughs> um, and it holds about probably about 5,000 people. And it's literally right across the street from the beach. And you can actually stand across the street and sit at a beach chair, on a beach chair, and hear the waves and hear the music simultaneously and not even buy a ticket to the show. You know, obviously you don't get the vantage, but you can hear the incredible music. But, you know, that's what I love about the summertime. One of the things I love is that it is just life outdoors and there's nothing better for me than to incorporate music, concerts, outdoor, under the sun, under the stars. It's just really life-affirming. Do you feel that way? I mean, music itself, just kind of, I don't know, the endorphins that kick in, just the memories, past memories that you're making, it just it does fill me with chills. All right, I have a lot more to cover, but I wanted to get into my conversation with Cassidy. With her, new, with her new book, Redefining Geek, Bias and the Five Hidden Habits of Tech Savvy. I mean, she's just amazing. And it's kind of interesting how uh, teens historically have been marginalized in tech. Um, and, there, and there's five habits. And you're going to learn about these and so much more. Um, what it's like to be a woman in the tech industry because there's a real inadequacy number-wise. And I think you're really going to enjoy uh, Cassidy. She's just electric full of information. And as a sociologist, as a professor, she's just loaded with great and valuable information. Also going to tell you about uh, Deaf Blindness Week that took place in New Jersey uh, last week that was instituted by Governor Phil Murphy in New Jersey and the part of the, uh, the role of the New Jersey Commission for the Blind and Visually Impaired, which I am on the board of, how we streamed the documentary Becoming Helen Keller. And I had the privilege of hosting that. But now let's meet Cassidy Puckett. Is it safe to say you are a self-proclaimed geek, Cassidy? Well, yes, in the way that I am um, trying to help us reimagine what a geek is. Absolutely. I love geeks. I have to tell you, I don't <laughs> consider myself a geek, but I love that my kids have uh, geek traits and my wife is a partial geek. She's a cool geek, cool chic geek, if that's true. And, uh, but I, I love the fact that teens, um, especially they were the, at the heart of your study, um, are really into technology and geekdom. Well, you might change your mind uh, oh about whether or not you're a geek. <laughs> Lay it on me. Let's well, see I'm white, can... number one. I have the propensity <laughs> to be a geek, right? Let's well well so we're trying to move past the stereotypes of geeks right and and so um 
uh, because I think that those ideas about what it means to be a geek are really not getting at the heart of what it takes to be good with technology, right? It it sort of suggests that it's just this natural thing. You're either born with it or you're not. There's no effort to it at all. And and what I've seen in my research is that it really does take a lot of effort to be a geek. Um, it's hard and it's something that you develop over time and that you practice. And, um, you know, when you're good at it, it doesn't, you, you might not think about it quite as like much, but yeah, but, but it does take some work. Um, yeah. So that's what I found and we'll see it. We'll see if I can convince you. <laughs> the genesis of redefining geek. What made you go down this road? Is it just the the sure sociological society that we live in, in terms of you, this is a 10 year project, a passion project of yours, because yeah. obviously you don't have enough to do as a professor and I'm sure many other things. Um, so this is obviously something that's very, very interesting for you. Yeah. So this started out actually as a, a project or a, a, an interest of mine when I was a teacher. So I was teaching technology classes, web design and robotics, at a small public middle school in Oakland, California. Great for you. My students were largely um, from immigrant families, largely um, Latinx families, and they were, you know, predominantly low income and, you know, spoke languages other than English at home. And, but they were really excited about technology. And as a teacher, what I really wanted to was you know to prepare them for our technological future and and you know let allow them to pursue whatever pathway mm. that they that they wanted to pursue um and i looked for this so this is early 2000s and i looked for standards because i thought okay there has to be you know ideas about what my like the goals for learning in these classes and sure enough, I found quite a lot. I found a lot of ideas about skills, about literacies, about different things that you could do with your students. But none of them talked about the process of learning, even though, as we know, technology changes all the time. And so it's really, really important to be good at that process of learning so that you can pick up the next thing that you need to know and the next thing you need to know. and and skills don't always build upon each other when it comes to technology, right? You might know how to use PowerPoint, but you don't know how to code or, you know, there, I could give a, a whole bunch of examples. So you really need to get good at, at the process of learning. And there was just nothing to help me um, teach my students how to be good at learning new technologies. I think we are all predisposed with many things in life, right? physical traits, smarts, aptitude. Does this fall on the same line? Being a geek, <laughs> tech savvy? Yeah, yeah. So I argue that, you know, we we do think that this is like, you know, we we think of it as a natural ability, but we really haven't looked inside of the black box of what this ability is <laughs> yeah sure to decide to decide it's very if new it's, still it's very new still and it, to decide if it's something where um it's something you can learn and you can pick up or not and so 
you know, the, the other thing about thinking of it as a natural ability is that it means sort of like going down the line in logic. It means that the people who are at the forefront, the big geeks, right, who are at the forefront of technology, well, those people we know only represent a very small segment of our very diverse country um, and world. So we've got you know, white and Asian males, typically more affluent, who predominate the technological fields. And so it's kind of suggesting that those are the people who are somehow naturally good mm, with, yeah. And I just, I mean, honestly, I did not see that among my students. And so I just didn't buy into that idea. Um, and, and so, you know, and it, and my research doesn't, doesn't back that up. And gender. Yes. Who's conducting this research? Who wrote the book? A woman. <laughs> right. Yay. Right. Right, exactly. And you're a minority in the field of technology. Right. And there's all kinds of historical reasons why <clears throat> uh, why we would think that that isn't true because women were at the forefront of technology very early in its history. And there's historical work on that, um, but got pushed out of technological fields. And the numbers of, for example, women in computer science have has gone down drastically since the 1980s. So there's something else going on um, when it comes to technology. And I, I think that that idea of natural ability is just getting in our way from really understanding what's going on, it, including everyone in our technological systems. Everything today involves some kind of technologies. and. So we're leaving out quite a quite a few people um, from fully participating and leading our technological world. So um, hopefully this pushes back on all of that. What led you into the field of technology? What was your motivating <laughs> factor? Was so, it something that was as a, I believe you come from a non-traditional family. So is this something that led you, fueled you to go down that path? Um, I do think that my family really encouraged creativity. I know that for sure. Um, and I, you know, I, I came from a creative background. I thought, you know, my grandfather was a, a combat photographer in World War II wow. and my mother was an artist. Yeah. Um, and I thought maybe photojournalism, but then there was this, you know, new explosion of, um, of, the internet and social media. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I can do something with new technologies. So I started to explore this um, out in California and I got a, a grant um, where I could learn new technologies, but um, the the grant, the whole purpose of the grant was to then teach other people, right? So it was, it was this like community oriented grant and I was, an AmeriCorps Vista and working in a, a in a small park that was next to a school and I partnered with the teachers there. Um, so that's really how it started. It was my creativity and my um, wanting to explore technologies that then got me into teaching, you know, about it and, and sharing as I learned. Um, that's what really got me into it. That's fantastic. Cassidy, yeah. can you separate the two, teaching versus technology? Or for you, they're coupled because you're passionate about both of them combined and you couldn't possibly separate those two. 
Yeah, I to me they're completely linked. Entangled, um, sure. Yeah, I I learn technologies to teach it other to other people, and you know some people might say that I'm I'm you know I'm not in the tech field, so I'm not a, a technologist or I'm not a geek, but um, I know a heck of a lot about <laughs> how one becomes good with technology, and I practice I practice the kinds of things that I've learned. In fact, I learned so much from the kids that I studied um that i you know every every time i like reread something that i wrote um watching them i learn something new as i'm learning new technologies i mean how could you not you studied 2000 teens my god that must have driven you to drink <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's a sidebar a whole nother interview right there yeah what, what was the the uh the template the study formulated and and what did it look at um obviously how old they were uh, was important, but what their skill was prior to maybe five years and uh, where their trajectory in life was, et cetera? Yeah. So what I did was I started from the perspective that, you know, I didn't need to study the people who are in tech. Um, sometimes when people are studying expertise, they go to people who are, you know, working in, in fields and occupations. But I, I really wanted to know what the the teens who are good with learning, what did they do? And I also knew that that just based on my own experiences teaching and knowing about the very broad range of um, these award-winning programs all across the country, that these teens, these tech-savvy teens are very diverse, like, you know, do not reflect that small slice of of, of technology fields. Um, and there were a lot of girls involved in, in these programs. So that's who I went to first. So I studied about 100 kids. I um, and I watched them and I interviewed them and I looked for what kinds of thoughts and feelings and actions really helped them in the learning process. Um, and then what I did was I used that information to create a quantitative measure, mm. which I then um, took to, um, you know, a stratified random sample to get more technical. About That's it. exactly where I was going. <laughs> stratified, unified sample. A, what? Bigger, a bigger survey. <laughs> My mind just blew up. A bigger survey of Chicago eighth graders. Um, and it was, you know, amazing to they were very kind and they filled out the the survey and so i could i could understand okay so you know here are the habits and i found five and i'll explain them in a minute um and you know here are the habits and how what do they look like across a, a broader sample mm. what can we really learn about um how these habits are being developed or not and by whom and why and all the factors socioeconomic gender yeah. everything yeah. redefining geek bias and the five hidden habits of tech savvy teens cassidy puckett is my guest cassidy i love your name it sounds so hollywood <laughs> i know you didn't pick it but i love it so talk about the five hidden habits uh was this something that obviously um was something that you discovered throughout your 10-year journey through the 2000 teens yeah, so the first step that I did was I looked at at, at what these teens did in these award-winning programs. Mm. What were they what were the programs teaching them? What were they, you know, how were they dealing with um, you know, the, how were they managing the learning process? And so what I found was that there are three habits that are general 
habits. Um, we actually know about them um, in terms of just learning anything, but they, they look a particular way with technology learning. So those three are a willingness to try and fail, <laughs> management of frustration and boredom, and then using models. So people and information, using models in mm. the learning process. Parallels. So those are right, exactly. So so those are the the three general habits that you know might apply to any area of, of technology learning, but yeah, great life skills too. Yeah, they look a particular way with with technology learning though. So for example, a willingness to try and fail. Um that one was so funny because it was they would celebrate when they failed. <laughs> like it was this big thing, like, oh, look at how terrible. Yes, I couldn't do it. Yes, yes. Because every attempt was a success. Like that is how these teens um, defined mm. anything. At least they were willing to try and fail. And then related to that, when managing frustration and boredom, then this one kid, and I always apologize for my language, but I just love it. He said to me, you're going to suck. <laughs> you're Is going that an to accent? Suck. And, and, you Connected know, to it, that? that was misinterpreted or that was the actual <laughs> word he used. That was the word that he used. Okay. And, and he, you know, the, just the idea that like, of course, of course, it's mm. going to be, it's going to be terrible. And look that at makes how a good t-shirt. I like that. I know really. It's it very astute be, for she. And and that's how they thought about it. They thought about it, you know, they they framed it as a game that they were, you know, trying one thing and that doesn't work. Oh, they're going to try something else. And, you know, just having that expectation of it's supposed to be hard. Like this is, you know, you're supposed to get frustrated. You're supposed to. Um, and so those things and then use of models. I saw things like um, they did a lot of peer sharing. So kids would turn and say, hey, what did you do? there and then they would go to other and the programs would also structure things so that they were telling them to go to each other um uh you know people who are in the program before mm. going online using particular search terms so those were um the three you know three foundational sort of general learning habits the other two are more technology specific um, and those are um, what I call design logic, which is thinking about why technology is designed the way that it is or how it's designed and, and sort of the logic behind that. And then how that relates to your own goals. Wow, and what that, you can that's do pretty deep. <laughs> so seriously, I mean, yeah. think about the technology and how it's designed. Obviously, it's about information. It's about sharing. It's also about extracting information as well. So you'll love this because a, a, a whole bunch of what I observed with this had to do with um, radio because there were kids who were in. Isn't a... radio dead though? <laughs> <laughs> Aren't or, I a or... dinosaur? <laughs> I forgot radio, to lay down. There was a radio show, a radio station that was run by teens. Um, love it. Or at least the the show was run, mm -hmm. run by these teens. Um, in Chicago, in Pilsen, uh, Radio Arte, um, and they were they were learning. Okay, so the software is supposed to, you know, look like a a rack of equipment, and you have to, you know, and this is actually that was an audio production production, but you have to turn the rack around, and so there's this what's called skeuomorphic design, where it looks like a physical object in the real world that these kids have never seen before. 
right? <laughs> and and so um, that design logic is definitely something where you need someone explaining it to you, like, sure. okay, this is, why, <laughs> this is why it's designed this way. And then the last one is really surprised me because I, I sort of had a vague sense of this one um, from my own experiences learning technologies, but then um, it just became much more important in my study. And that is something I call efficiencies. So that's faster ways of using technology. So for example, keyboard commands. And really, I did not think this was that important sure, when I started. Everything. Yeah, shortcuts. But it turns out that there's you know, so many shortcuts, things that are not available to this unless we're like really looking mm. into the and software specific. Yes, software specific. And you have to know to look for them. You have to know how to find them. You have to practice them. So that became and then the other thing was that, um, you know, you would kids would tell me, oh, that, you know, that kid, he's really good because he's got tricks and they would do this little like thing with their hand gesture. And it was because they were referring to these efficiencies that kids would know that they had to learn and use. And so that was also a major signal of who wow. had technological expertise. Sure. Cassidy Puckett, were these transferable skills because they were gamers as well? Um, some of them were gamers, and I do think that 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 gaming um, is a is a big part of how people learn. You know, the dexterity, I'm sure. The dexterity, but also things like understanding that there's a logic <clears throat> to it, um, understanding that there could could be a particular move that you do, mm. or even a cheat code that you can get to a special level or get further in the game. So I do think that gaming culture is is a part of this. Um, oh, absolutely. Sure. Developing these this habits. Is, this is yeah. fascinating. I love how you came up with this thesis and you were proactive in terms of setting up, you know, thousands of teens. Was there a certain parameter or uh, skill set that they had or could not have? to exist in a study? Like if someone just knew how to do basic word functions and not know how to, to program. So I was really going after the really savvy kids in the first part of the study, but I'm glad that you asked that question because then I wanted to know, okay, so, you know, maybe every, every, you know, there's these assumptions about the, you know, quote unquote, digital natives. And, and how they just sort of know what to do with technology. Sure. So I really wanted to push and see, okay, so how how much are these uh, habits, you know, distributed across a larger sample? And, and are there, you know, differences by race and by class and by gender? And so that's when I went out. So I, I made something I call the digital adaptability scale. It's a set of 15 items that asks you to rate yourself on is this like you or not like you and it, it's asking about each of the five habits it takes about five minutes to fill out um and and then i looked okay so we you know does does this um do their ratings differ by race and ethnicity and class and gender and it's really interesting what i found so there are no, at least in the Chicago sample of eighth graders that I surveyed, there are no significant differences by race, ethnicity, or socioeconomic background. I love to hear that. Great. Amen. <laughs> well, I, it tells us, though, that there are a lot of kids whose 
talents are not being recognized and cultivated and rewarded, right? But that we have this talent that's already existing. Um, so, so, you know, really that's something we need to, to learn. We need to like rethink the ways that we talk about the so digital. You think the bar was so consistent that they're not tapping into their skill set. I, I think that there's limited opportunity for those kids, even in schools where they do have technology classes. I mean, Jane Margolis, uh, who's a, you know, a, a researcher on this topic for decades has, has argued this. she's got a book called um, stuck in the shallow end about the kids who, you know, are the black and Latinx kids who are not getting into those advanced courses, even if they're available in their schools. So that's really just a, a an affirmation that that, that is the case. Um, the other thing that I found, which I was not expecting and was honestly a little disappointed to see, but I understand it is that the, that girls were significantly lower on the scale. That does not mean that every single girl, um, you know, is, is less tech savvy than, than boys. Uh, there were quite savvy girls and they're highlighted oh, sure. in the, um, in, in the study. In fact, one of them was, was the fastest at this technology challenge that I gave them. But what I found was the two technology specific habits, those were the ones that were differentiating um, uh, students by gender. So, um, you know, what that says to me is that girls are not getting access to things like design logic and efficiencies. And back to our conversation about uh, video games, <laughs> right? That very well might be one of the ways that these are not shared. So that if you include, you know, more boys than girls in understanding um, what's what's underneath the the hood of the technology, um, then you're going to get these kinds of differences. Fascinating. Yeah. So is it going back to video games? Is it, is it predominantly skewed heavily more for boys? Um, it has been historically, yes. Um, so, you know, marketing mm, sure, very yeah. early on was like boys in their bedrooms with the computer. And that was kind of the, um, and and that's what, what um, historians and, mm. and uh, researchers and, argue is it's really cultural. It's, it's not necessarily. And then, of course, there's, um, so gender scholars know a lot more about that history than I do, but I, I do think that that's one opportunity, but, you know, we can also, all of us say, number one, being good with technology is really, you know, more about these habits and more about the learning process. And you can get good at, um, uh, learning new technologies and working with technologies. Um, you just need these five habits. Cause one of the things that I found is that, just having that idea that it's about habits, right? That this definition of being good with technology is about learning habits. That alone is associated with, with you know, better developed habits, right? So just having this idea that you look, you know, you can you can develop it. It's not mm, just sure. good at it or not. Um, and that alone, and then and then to do things like do different kinds of um of technology activities so if you're a parent you could you know make videos um you can um uh so 
do some audio production, do some video production, do some, you know, right. But as long as it's different things, that's what really helps. All encompassing. Sure. That happens at the Farrell household on a weekly basis. (laughs) Are they dragged into it? Are they? (laughs) No, no, they love it. We have an audio production suite right here. Uh, My son on the other side of this desk does video production uh, for himself. And the teachers are just overwhelmed with his production skill set. And my daughter's sliding into it now. Um, she That's won. Great. She's nine years old, and she won the third best video out of eighty people for 4-H. Nine years old, and everyone was a teenager above her. <laughs> That's amazing, and I'm sure that you, you know they're they're using you as a model, right? They're watching true, what you true. do. And, um, but but I, think, I, I, I find I, that yeah. kids are fearless though with technology. <laughs> Not all. I mean, no, I sure. I encounter. I encounter. I encounter college students who say to me, I'm just not good with this, wow. right? Yeah, and they were born, they were born after 2000. Yeah, sure. Right? Like they're, they're supposedly the digital natives, but I every semester I have students in my classes who say I'm just not good at this. So would you say that everything we just spoke about for the last five minutes in terms of becoming adept is almost like everything else, the 10,000 hour rule applies? That is a good question. I don't know how many hours. Um, <laughs> oh, in theory, it's we'll that, it. about redundancy, right? It's about obviously honing yes. your craft yes. uh, day in, day out, getting good at uh, programming and uh, whatever the case may be. Um, just like anything, you have to be really, really uh, gifted in that area or become gifted because of how deep you dive into whatever realm it is. It takes practice. Yeah. I think that is the bottom line. Yes, it yeah. takes practice and it takes a cultivation of these habits. I will say that it does not require anybody to be an expert. It doesn't require teachers to be experts. It does not require kids to, to you know, have parents who are experts. In fact, sometimes it's better <laughs> because if you're an expert, you might end up doing it for them. True, um, true. Whereas if you're just learning alongside them, um, it might feel weird, mm. but that is actually helping them see how do people learn, right? And and you can learn from, from, from kids. I learned amazing things from the kids that I followed. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. And I love how everyone in our circles, right, has different proficiencies that we're yeah. all good at. Yes. And I love that. Going back to uh, like the 10,000 hour rule, the beauty of this also is that it's it can be intuitive and it can be something that you can just hone your skills on individually. Yeah. You don't have yeah. to take a class. You don't have to take courses. Basically, if you have internet access, you can research, find out, and obviously Uh, through trial and error, develop your acumen. And there are lots of resources online. Um, This is something that I get asked about a lot. So I'll just please share things like code.org, which is pretty well known and girls who code, they've they've released new activities online. Um, There's a bunch of, of organizations that do this. And so you get those new challenges and then the next thing. And once you are getting used to the learning process, then you're ready for something new. Um, and so those kinds of things, you you really don't have to have that much technology. Um, one of the things that I saw um, when I was observing uh, Mouse, which is a program, I, I observed them aboard um, uh, the USS Intrepid. Wow. <laughs> 
which is in which is in New York. Yeah, and right around a corner from us. <laughs> we were in the belly of the ship, <laughs> and there were kids who were taking apart old computers and putting wow. them back together, and doing these races to try to like figure out or or little challenges where the instructor would say, "Okay, close your eyes," and the the student would close her eyes. And then he would unplug the power cord <laughs> and and she would go through and check it and be like, I don't know what's going on here. And it was just a, it was a game, right? Oh, it's, it's great. Always start with the simplest thing, right? Simplest things and, and, and really being unafraid of breaking mm -hmm. this old, yeah, old yeah. computer, old technology, being unafraid of breaking it. Um, so those are the kinds of things that oh, you Oh, I love it. Well, you know yeah. what? I think no matter what you do in life, you have to have a good concept of how things work. You don't have to be able to take it apart. But whether you become a uh, geneticist, uh, a, a high-tech uh, officer in security or design, uh, whatever the case may be, or a doctor, um, you have to know how other things work. Because when you pay people to do things for you, not only should you be able to like uh, have some semblance of what they're doing so you don't get taken for a ride, but it's just great uh, conceptually because I think it designs a different part of the mind. Um, and that obviously will do somebody a great deal of justice or, or benefit because of having that idea and concept to understand how maybe signal flow works or design or the, uh, uh, what's the engine called? The uh, compression engine, what's it called? Like, combustion engine is this, that was the word that I think. <laughs> combustion engine, ding, ding, ding. Thank you so much, Cassidy Puckett. Thank you for coming. Our interview's over. Now that I got that out of the way. But uh, so let's get down to brass tacks here because um, you wrote this great book, Redefining Geek: Bias and the Five Hidden Habits of Tech Savvy Teens. Let's talk about parents for a second because they're always looking for tips and inside ways on how to either monitor, but let's deal with more of the educational uh, exposure aspect and how to get your team better technology. If that's that singular teen that probably or isn't as gifted or maybe as interested in uh, than uh, technology as their peers. Yeah, so, you know, starting with the, this idea that, that you, um, it's, you know, really about learning habits. That's the best thing mm. to provide for kids is to just say, you know what? Um, it's not that you have it or you don't. It's that you that you can cultivate these habits. Here, take a look at these habits. In fact, you could even use the digital adaptability scale, which I provide in the book and how to score it to just show the kid what they, because they might not even know like, oh, okay, I was already doing this thing, but I'm not doing this thing. And so it's much more concrete that, you know, okay, I, I get now what it is that's really like, you know, getting in my way. Um, and so that's one of the things that both parents and teachers can do is just not assume anything about a kid and, and help them to not assume anything about themselves. Right. So there's, there's like, how can I provide evidence of, mm. of what it is that you're capable of right now and what you need help with? Um, and, you know, the other thing that I argue in the book, um, and it pertains to parents, is to think about this and to really, you know, there's this temptation to always try and 
use education and and in this case technology learning as sort of a way for your kids to get ahead right but something that i argue in in the book and that is really foundational to our educational system although it's really not the focus at this point the focus of education is more about that individual getting ahead competition kind of way of thinking about learning and education and striving for the you know the highest paying jobs etc um but you know at the beginning of the founding of the common school um there was this idea that we needed a um you know we needed a literate democracy we needed all people to participate um now even from the beginning it has never been that way but that has certainly been the ideal the goal, sure and um and so one of the things that i argue in the book is that i think it's important for parents to say you know what i my kid needs this but all kids need this right because when we don't have um uh you know access to to technological competence if everybody's not um kind of Adapted. starting on the same page then you know as we move into the and we really are in the technological era um it means that there are people who are um being left behind who are being left out marginalized um, exactly it really also it hurts all of us um you know thinking about the pandemic um if if it's taught us anything it's that the problems that we face are really big and they're going to get bigger in the future and so we need as many people um engaged in thinking about things in innovative ways and 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 being innovative and all of their talents need to be at the table so mm. So that's the big thing that I that I argue for parents, not just that's your a, kids, all kids. <laughs> that's an excellent point, Cassie. And think about this full circle, how technology is becoming such an intimate tool because of mental illness right now. Yeah. Major epidemic. And there are not enough psychologists and psychiatrists on the planet right now to deal with this. But we have this thing right here that I'm looking at and seeing you at in your studio out in um, Atlanta. Atlanta. <laughs> that allows us to connect. So now there's telemedicine. You can have a face-to-face -face with a psychologist, social worker, et cetera. But the point is that technology as ubiquitous as it is and how scary and so many other things, but can also be very intimate and, and, and solve people's most uh, heart-wrenching problems. Right. Hopes. Yeah, it can be it can be great or it can cause problems. It can be all <laughs> right? consuming, sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and so then we, marriages. <laughs> so we need lots of people at the table thinking about mm -hmm. these these issues and bringing different perspectives. Um, that will only benefit all of us. Absolutely. So when you start out this journey, um, obviously it, it's a learning process for you as a person who loves technology as a teacher, um, as a college professor, and as someone who just became more seasoned learning technology through the teens that you're working with, the 2000 teens for 10 years. Um, are you a different person at the end of this journey? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> 
I How think, can you not be right? I think I was, you know, I was starting with that perspective that I just wanted, I just wanted to teach my kids. I just wanted to be better. I wanted to serve them. Um, I still want to serve them. Actually, a, a portion of the proceeds from the book are going straight back to that middle school in Oakland. Um, it's called Urban Promise Academy. I, it still has my heart. <laughs> That's beautiful. And, and, you know, so that was, that was really the thing was, um, you know, I just want to be able to to teach better. Um, but I think that what I got from the study um, and what I got from from my sociological training and and being a professor, learning new ways of really thinking about um, these issues is a, a much broader perspective of like, why does this matter? Um, what do we need it for? What are the dynamics that are really going on? Um, and really questioning that idea that um, you know, Black, Latinx, low-income students are lacking something because my research is showing actually the problem, <laughs> the problem is society not rewarding their talents. Um, and so that's, that's uh, um, all of these things show me this much broader idea and much more complicated idea of digital inequality. Um, and that's what I've taken away and that's what I now teach and that's mm, what I write that's about. That's fascinating. Yeah. That's fascinating. As a professor of sociology, do you find that, I know this wasn't part of your study, but as a, as a professional, mm -hmm. do you find that technology and society are moving at equal speeds? You know, I've gotten this question before and um, there's lots of different arguments about, all right, is technology changing 30 faster? 30 second answer because we're almost out of time. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so that'll dictate an answer. I, I think the, the answer is that in a way it doesn't matter. It is changing and we have to respond to it in some way. And I would say that we have to prepare everybody, um, bring everybody to the table. Um, it might be changing faster than, than society can keep up with it. Um, uh, and maybe we need to slow it down a little bit, but we need that skill in order to know those things. Right. And so, um, that's that's my big my big <laughs> theme is that we need everybody at the table. And what about a detriment? What do you find the biggest detriment of technology is on society? I think not thinking about it enough, really. I don't think that that um, you know the the people who are developing technological innovation at this point really are often not taking a critical eye to what they're doing. I think all technology the ramifications, the ripple. Well, yeah, social sure. ramifications. Uh, like that <laughs> thing called Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but look at look at, at this on the opposite spectrum. Oh, sorry to interrupt you there, Cassidy. Oh, think about how we're having war, not our country, but yeah. Ukraine and how it can be uploaded. People on the other side of the planet can watch it in real time and see just how horrific acts of atrocities are being committed. And, and this is good because obviously we hope this ends very, very quickly, but in terms of the platform that's capable, I, I knew, I said to my wife months ago, I said, if this ends up being a war, this will be a war like no ever before because we'll be in the inside of the shell that's being shot and the fallout and the human aspect that you would never ever be able to cover and see close up like before. Yeah, we get it. We get that information a lot faster um, than we used to. And we haven't had a war where it's really like in our face on the ground before. So this is it is it's very different. Um, and so, you know, we we do need to think through, OK, so um, there there are certainly 
benefits to that. We all see it. Um, uh, and then drawbacks, of course, we all sure, see it. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think there is, um, you know, huge benefits and, and huge, huge problems with technology. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so we, we need to, to all be there at the table and, and, and there needs to be, you know, thinking about more regulation of who has a hand yes. in those technological yes. systems and how they work. Um, so all of that really needs to, to be addressed. And Cassidy Puckett, you don't know this about me, but I'm visually impaired and I love technology. And I think it's been redefining for this community um, mm -hmm. on many aspects. I mean, I have a phone that can tell me how to get somewhere. It can speak to me. It can text to me. It can read to me. It can send emails. So I am all embracing of technology. Um, whether I'm a geek or not, I can't design. <laughs> I can't code. Uh, but I can navigate quite well. And I'm all for when I speak to students. My other role besides being a radio host is I speak to students nationally on a lot of different vital topics. And one of them is about technology, uh, about self-entitlement and all these different things about breaking away from technology because you have to experience childhood. You can't be just, you know, locked to a screen. So I applaud you for, for your research. I, I love that field, the study of people and a society and how they interact and the things that work and the things that need to be redesigned and reinvestigated. And this is a critical period in life, technologically speaking. And obviously, as you know, in all aspects, political platforms, et cetera. So Cassidy Puckett, thank you for your book. Uh, thank you for being a geek. I'm not sure if you actually, can you say, are you a geek, technological geek or no? Well, I would say I'm a geek. Now, yes. I'm, I'm going to throw that back at you, though. At, now that we've talked about it a little bit, would you consider yourself a geek? No. <laughs> no, I, I don't hoping, think I fit the mold. I was hoping I would convince yeah, you. Yeah, no, I'm happy to be, but I think it's just because, um, uh, maybe, maybe, yeah, I guess so, maybe because it's audio files, because I do a lot of audio mixing, producing, et cetera. So, and obviously, technology is critical. Uh, we're doing this interview via Zoom. Uh, more credence to the fact that, you know, it's inescapable. I don't know. Everything that you, you described to me, all of those technologies that you've learned over time yeah. that you use not only in, in your own personal way, but also with, you know, other kids and teaching and you strike me as a geek. I'm raising my hand. <laughs> Self-proclaimed geek. You heard it right here. May 4th, 2022. Cassidy Puckett. It's an absolute delight meeting you. I love your energy. I love that you have combined two passions, teaching and technology, and you're sharing it with the world through this incredible book, Redefining Geek. Thank you so much. It's been a delight to be here. <laughs> and Cassidy, lastly, how can people read about you and your book? Yes. So I have a website, Cassidy Puckett, that's C-A-S-S-I-D-Y. P-U-C-K-E-T-T dot com. You sound like you should have been like the sixth Partridge family member with a name like Cassidy Puckett and Cassidy Puckett. All the best to you, my friend. Thank you so much. Yeah, so I bet you learned some stuff you didn't realize about technology. The industry uh, and the habits that we have or don't have, we possess innately or don't. Fascinating, isn't it? Cassidy Puckett. Great, great interview. P-U-C-K-E-T, by the way, P-U-C-K-E-T, first name C-A-S-S-I-D-Y, Cassidy Puckett. Google her and check out the book, Redefining G.
Geek. Yeah, so Mark Farrell here. Thanks so much, and I hope you're enjoying your Thursday. This is the Progressive Radio Network. My name is Mark Farrell, and it's the show Insight. Yes, Gary Noel will be coming up momentarily, but I want to tell you about um, this event I was involved with. Uh, New Jersey Commission for the Blind and Visually Impaired is like most state agencies um, that help people who are blinder or visually impaired and or multiple disabilities navigate through life, through education, services, employment, etc. And so we had the pleasure of being contacted by Channel 13 and the American Masters documentary, Becoming Helen Keller. By the way, it was ASL interpreted, audio described, and captioned with subtitles. A great movie. So everyone was able to uh, view it, watch it, hear it, understand it, and experience it in some form or another. And um, I had the pleasure of hosting the um, conversation beforehand and post-words. And I'll see if uh, we have a link for that to um, share on the show summary so you can uh, experience that as well. But, of course, number two things. Number one, that um, Governor Murphy, that uh, he proclaimed this last week, actually, is Deafblind Awareness Week in New Jersey for the deafblind community across um, the network of New Jersey. And just it was it's just a phenomenal organization, uh, CBVI. But the film itself and all represents Helen Keller, I mean, the amazing work that she did. My Lord, it's just still hard to imagine someone being so industrious, so invincible, so many things. I mean, she is just courageous, was so courageous and compassionate, filled with empathy and one to blaze trails for so many. So it was just an honor, of course, once again, to be a part of CBVI on the board, but more importantly, to share something so valuable. You don't have to have a disability to appreciate what someone of that caliber has done for everyone on this planet in one form or another. Even just simply teaching us about resilience and fortitude and the intrepid spirit that Helen Keller possessed. Really incredible stuff. Okay, so getting back to summer, we're keeping it light today because with all the shootings and murders um, and Congress and all the stuff that uh, abortion, I, I just, we need a break. And I'm going to keep it so simple. Simple as like DJing a party. I mean, I used to have a DJ company in New York City for years. I DJed the Rainbow Rune, World Trade Center, all over. And it's a blast. I haven't done much of it. The only time I really do it is when if somebody hires me for a speaking gig and they want music as well, then I, I bring one of my uh, colleagues, <clears throat> excuse me, and they do the music. But I provide the PA system, et cetera. But once in a while, someone asks me to do a party. And to be honest with you, I just can't say no because they want to pay so much money because it's something I don't usually do. So the other day I did a backyard party. It was about 75 people. And it was a blast. Five hours. Oh, my God. You know, just to be back in someone's yard, more specifically, on the grass, and playing music under the sun, under the stars for five hours, it's really electrifying on so many different levels. I urge you to take off your shoes, kick off those flip-flops, walk on the sand, walk on the grass. But it is really a grounding thing, and there's a lot of evidence about how you really connect with the earth and all that jazz, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I don't know a lot about it, but I, I do find that it's kind of recalibrating on so many different ways, and it just feels darn great. So yeah, summer's my thing. Is summer your jam, man? I mean, you can keep Christmas, you can keep all the other holidays. 
I love Memorial Day. I love the 4th of July. I love Labor Day, except Labor Day is kind of sad because that means it's the close of summer, the bookend. But anyway, I beg you to enjoy it wherever you are in life, wherever you are living in this world. And I appreciate your time and interest on the uh, show each and every Thursday right here, Insight. You can always check out all my earlier shows, previous shows, by going on the Insight page. They're available for archive, playback, sharing, etc. Gary Noll is next, my friends. Have a great Thursday. My name's Mark Farrell. Keep living and laughing. Insight with Mark Farrell. Check out this and all Insight shows on the Insight page at PRN.FM. PRN.FM. Have Mark speak at your company, your kid's school or college. Mark speaks on critical topics that affect kids and adults everywhere, from anti-bullying, mental health, drugs and alcohol, to overcoming adversity. Visit MarkFarrellMotivation.com for more info. Insight, Thursday mornings at 11 on the Progressive Radio Network. Network.